Today, I want to talk to you about a very important concept. This is going to be a lot more on the teaching side than on the preaching side. It's a very important issue. I want to talk to you about is love tolerant? Is love tolerant? Uh, the word tolerant and its partner intolerant are thrown around a lot right now. Uh, sometimes they're used appropriately. Very often they're used inappropriately. And if you're a Christian, and if you've ever taken a Christian stand for a moral issue, there's a good chance that you've had the word intolerant thrown at you. Uh, you might have been called hateful. You might have been called bigoted. And I want to look today at what the Bible says about how we're to respond to that accusation and really to look at whether or not we fall under one category or the other. What does it mean for us to love our neighbor? Sinners love to appeal to Jesus when they feel that we're being unfair. I thought your God told you to be loving. I thought Jesus commanded you to love your neighbor. You're not being very loving. You're condemning that person and you telling them that they're wrong and their lifestyle is, is inappropriate and sinful. What do we say to that? And, you know, we don't want to just give trite, quick answers. We want to really think about these things. So I'd like you to turn to Matthew 22, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, the 22nd chapter, and just hold it open. Because I want to lay a foundation with a few very important points. And then we're going to get to the text actually toward the end uh, of the teaching today. So, again, Matthew 22, the question we're asking is, is love tolerant? And while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that your presence has been with us in the house all day today. God, we thank you for what you've already spoken. Lord, thank you for the way you've been speaking through the worship this afternoon. God, I ask that you would continue that, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear and to understand what's in your word. Father, maybe if there's someone in here today or perhaps someone streaming who's been confused about this, maybe they've had that accusation thrown at them and they do wonder, how can we say that we're loving when it seems that we're against so much, when it seems there are so many issues that we have to take a, a contrary stance on? How can we say that we're loving our neighbors? God, give us wisdom to approach this question today. Lord, let no one feel condemned because they feel confused. Lord, our hearts want to align with yours, God. And I pray that you would show us your your path and you would lead us in your way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So again, is love tolerant? So we're going to start with a couple important definitions. So if we could put the first point up on the screen there, what does it mean to be tolerant? I'm going to give you the definition of this word and of its partner. The definition of tolerant, if we could bring that up, is to be willing to allow the existence of worldviews different from yours. That's the meaning of tolerant. If you are tolerant, it means you are willing to allow the existence of worldviews different from yours. And a worldview is basically a person or a society's answers to questions about life and its meaning. Your worldview is the way you look at life, the way you believe life works. Where do you come from? Were you created? Did you evolve from primordial soup? Uh, is there meaning in your life? Is meaning inherent to you as a human being, or do you have to create meaning or find meaning? Is there a difference between right and wrong? And if there is, how do you determine that? And if there's no difference, how do we survive? And then even more fundamental is where are you going when you die? What's going to happen to you at the end of your life? Your, your worldview determines how you answer those questions. It's the way you see life the way you look at the world. And in this country alone, we have a vast variety. We've got a soup of worldviews, different perspectives, and not all of them agree. And some of them are downright hostile toward one another. And this word tolerant has to do 
I love the way that it's worded. It's from the Lexico Dictionary. It's powered by Oxford, uh, Oxford University Press. It's free online if you want to check it out. But it's simply the willingness to allow the existence of worldviews different from yours. So there's nothing in the word that suggests you demand agreement. There's nothing in the word that suggests you demand the embracing of all worldviews, but that you are willing to let people think for themselves. You are willing to let people think freely. Now, the opposite end of that is intolerant. Next point, please. If you are intolerant, you are unwilling to allow the existence of worldviews different from yours. You think everybody should see the world one way, and it should be your way. That's what it means to be intolerant. And we throw these words around, and when I say we, I'm talking about our culture at large. Generally speaking, when we throw the words tolerant and intolerant around, they're attached to ideas of loving versus hateful. If you're a tolerant person, you're loving and you're kind and you're nice and you're agreeable. But if you're intolerant, you're a, a hateful, bigoted person who only sees the world from a, a narrow-minded view. And if you hold to a biblical worldview, meaning you allow Jesus and his written word, the Bible, to define the way you look at life, very often that's going to earn you the title of intolerant. It's going to earn you the title of, of hateful or bigoted. So is this true? Are, are we commanded to be tolerant or intolerant? How are we supposed to view other perspectives? Do we allow them to exist? And, and if not, what do we do about that? What's our approach? How do we show more importantly that we are a loving people, even though we must at times oppose unbiblical thinking? Because that's really our challenge. How do we prove that our mission is to love? Our mission is to convey the message of a loving God that died for a world that's against him, even though sometimes we've got to tell people that's sin. How do we reconcile those two things? Now, if tolerance is, as the definition we gave says, it's the willingness to allow something to exist, then Christians are actually models of tolerance. We really are. Christianity is not about eliminating other worldviews or eliminating the people who hold them. Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36, where he tells Pontius Pilate while he's on trial, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servant would fight. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul tells us in verse 12 that we do not make war against flesh and blood. That means our fight is not with people. Our fight is with spiritual powers of darkness that are trying to hold people captivated by sin. We do not believe that you can coerce people into following Jesus. We do not believe that you can force people to believe the gospel. This is a free choice that God gives people the privilege of making. And so if we were intolerant and believed, no, we should make everybody believe, that's not the Bible anymore. You've got something else. If, if tolerance is the willingness to allow people to think freely, if tolerance means the willingness to allow other worldviews to exist, then yes, we're very tolerant. We don't want to force you to do anything. We want to show you who Jesus is. We want you to feel convicted by his beauty of your sin and give your life to him. That's not force. That's not coercion. That's not an unwillingness to let you think freely. Additionally, we don't believe that laws can change people's hearts. We don't believe that if we set the system up just right, that'll make everybody change their perspective. Listen, you cannot legislate sin out of a society. You've got to preach it out. 
You cannot legislate sin out of a society. You can make laws. You can set up policies that are totally biblical in their alignment. They, they enforce a Christian perspective on things. That does not guarantee people's hearts are going to change. That does not guarantee it. Sometimes the only thing law will do is incite rebellion. The only thing the law will do is prove that in the depths of our being, we are fundamentally wicked. And so if we want to make the power of the gospel, if we want to make the transformational work of Christ about a system or about coercion, we are no longer preaching the kingdom that Jesus brought. His kingdom is not of this world, and you don't advance it by fighting according to physical earthly standards. The weapons of our warfare are not earthly. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and tearing down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You cannot legislate sin out of a society. You cannot coerce people into being disciples of Jesus Christ. So in that sense, we're very tolerant. We are willing to allow people to think for themselves. But that's not what the word is used to mean. The word may mean one thing in a dictionary, but it means another thing coming out of people's mouths. Right now, the word tolerant is not about the willingness to allow, it's the willingness to agree. It's the willingness to regard as equal worldviews different from your own. And because we cannot do that, because we are bound by our commitment to Jesus as our king not to do that, we're labeled intolerant. Because the thing that we have to realize, folks, is that that's not the meaning of tolerance. That's the cultural baggage that's being put on it. That's not the meaning. The meaning of tolerance is that you are willing to allow other people, whether they agree with you or not, to think freely and to still treat them like a human being and to not feel as though you must change your opinion or else you're going to be labeled. But culturally, we have just piled all kinds of additional meaning and weight on top of this word and false accusations get flung at us as the church of Jesus Christ all the time. Let me read you a quote from a lady named Amy Bird. She was writing a, a section in her book about reading with discernment, how Christians need to be on guard about how authors use words. This is what she said. An author may say something like, it's not loving to be intolerant. That sounds good on the surface, but what does he mean by loving and what does he mean by tolerant? Does tolerant mean to accept all behaviors and beliefs as equal? Or does it mean being capable of treating someone with kindness and human dignity despite not accepting that person's belief to be true or his behavior to be godly? If the author means the first one, I disagree with his statement. It's not loving to be enabling. If you see somebody living a lifestyle or engaging in activity that you know is destructive, because you love them, you're not going to enable them in those choices. You're going to love them enough to tell them, you're destroying yourself. What you're doing is harmful. And because I believe that you are a valuable human being created in the image of God, that you are a reflection of his beauty, I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. I'm going to tell you that you need to change your perspective and you need to look at yourself and the world differently. I don't believe that all worldviews are equal. Not all truths are true. And not all opinions are valid. Some opinions are bad opinions. Some opinions are very destructive opinions. And the thing is, you and I are able to tell people what we think of their opinion without hating them. 
We are. The world has another opinion about that, but that's not a valid opinion. I'm trying to be funny about it, but we are not hateful because we are disapproving. We're not hateful because we're not agreeable. I, the fact that I might tell a person, I think you're wrong, doesn't mean I don't want you or your opinion to exist. No, I'm willing to allow the existence of other perspectives, even if they disagree with me, even if I find them immoral, because I can't force you to follow Jesus. You have to be convicted of your sin. You have to have an encounter with God that I can't manufacture. I'll lead you there. I'll lead the horse to the water, but I can't make you drink. If you want to walk away, you can walk away. The punishment, the, uh, the consequence of that is on you. We can disagree and disapprove of a person's choices or beliefs without hating them. Just as the quote said, tolerance is, is not about accepting all behaviors and beliefs as equal. It's the ability to treat people with kindness and dignity, even if you believe they're wrong. Even if you have to conclude that they're ungodly. Because look, if, if you can't treat sinners with kindness or dignity, please don't go out evangelizing alone. Please, don't. Don't. Go with someone who has learned the compassion of Christ and watch them and learn from them. Because folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you have not learned to cry with Jesus over people, you are not ready to rebuke people for Jesus. You're not. We've got to learn the compassion of Christ where we see people as beautiful. We see them as valuable and they're being made ugly by sin and Jesus wants to rescue them. If we see people as just, well, they're objects of disdain and hatred because they believe something and they need to, listen, people have to be led to Christ. They have to have an encounter with God that turns their affections and turns their hearts. But again, right now, our culture is telling us that if you disagree, you are intolerant. And I've been called that before. And usually, it's said very angrily. It's said with a few choice words attached to it that I can't say, not just from the pulpit, but as a Christian, I can't repeat them. And it makes you wonder who the intolerant ones actually are. But this is very key because our society doesn't see its own hypocrisy. And that's why you and I must not stoop to the level of anger and incivility that they're stooping to. We have got to be, amen, praise God. It's like the apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, he said, always be ready to give an answer, a defense for the hope that is in you, but with meekness and with fear. Why? Because if you and I sink to the level of anger, if we begin to act and conduct ourselves the way that our angry culture is, we can end up validating the accusations that we're not a loving people. We are out to prove them wrong. We are out to prove that, yes, we might disagree. Yes, what you're doing is contrary to God's word, and we are duty-bound to tell you about it, but that does not mean that we hate you. We love you, and it's because we love you that we're saying what must be said. Now, this is where Matthew chapter 22 comes into play. And we're going to read verses 34 through 40. Now, the reason we're reading this, just before we read, the reason we're reading this is, again, because people love to appeal to the commands of Jesus to condemn us. I thought Jesus told you to love your neighbor. I thought Jesus told you to be loving. How can you say you love someone when you reject and condemn them? That's the mantra that's, that's being thrown at us. Let's look at what the Son of God had to say about this. Matthew 22, starting at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. 
And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is asked for the great commandment, singular. The guy wants one answer. Jesus gives him two. Why is that important? Because Jesus is showing us that our love has to have two directions. It has to go vertically and it has to go horizontally. If you say that you love your God, but you hate your fellow man, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. That's what 1 John says. You cannot love God and hate his image bearers. You cannot. That is a contradiction in terms. If we are to love God, we must also love neighbor as ourselves. So by joining these two commandments together, Jesus is telling us very plainly that loving people, loving people, you've got to see that as as important as you see loving your God. They are not to be separated from the two. Well, it's just me and Jesus, man. I'm done with all the hypocrites and, and this world's going to hell in a handbasket. I just had enough. Uh, you're on your own, friend. You're, the Jesus you love, you're not obeying very well because he told you that you can't say that you love him and hate the people he died to save. It doesn't work like that. He's not walking with you down that road. He's on another road and you need to get back on it. Now, I've heard people say that's just me and Jesus. No, you're all by yourself. <laughs> it's you and your bitterness or, or you and your demons. You, you've got to get out of that. You've got to get out of that. That is a very dangerous place to be. You cannot love God and hate your fellow man. Love is paramount when it comes to our witness for Jesus and our obedience for him. But does loving our neighbor mean accepting everything they believe and do? Because that's what the world wants us to say yes to. Of course it does. How can you say you love somebody if you don't accept them? And that, they're, they're stopping there. It's like, no, no, we will, we will accept people as dignified, image-bearing uh, people that God loves and Jesus died to save. But as far as what they believe and do, that has to be scrutinized. That's what they have to be rescued from. So loving our neighbor doesn't mean accepting everything that people believe and do. There are two principles that we've got to draw from this passage, and I want to bring them out to you here. If you look again at the screen, here's our next point. In this passage, Jesus not only tells us to love, but how to love. He doesn't just tell us to love, he tells us how to love. And when he says these two commands, he's quoting two different places in the Old Testament. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It was called the Shema. It was the central command of Israel's law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He is unique. There's no one like him, and you will love him with your entire being. That's the summary of the command. So if we could bring the, the next point up, please. We love God by letting him rule our whole self. How do you love God? You let him rule all of you. There's nothing that you hold back from him. Now, absolute surrender in, in that sense, we're not going to reach that until we get to heaven. Surrender is progressive. You learn to surrender more and more to Jesus throughout your Christianity, but you are accountable for what you know you're not giving to him. So in that sense, we let God rule our whole self, rule our actions, our words, our affections, our thinking. Everything belongs to him. 
He has the right to tell us we're wrong. He has the right to tell us that we're right. He has the right to confront us. He has the right to comfort us. In every sense, we belong to him. That's the first and great command. But then Jesus says the second is like it. And he quotes one line from a passage in, of all books, Leviticus. The book that almost all of you thought didn't matter and you skip it in your daily Bible reading. (laughs) It's all right. I'm tempted to do it too. Don't lie. Leviticus 19. Just listen to it really closely. It's, It's just two verses and Jesus quotes one line. This is the full context of what he's saying. In Leviticus 19 verses 70 through 18, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall rebuke your neighbor lest you bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's very interesting. We're okay with about two or three elements of that, but there's one that we're not really okay with. We are okay, okay, our culture is okay with loving our neighbor by not hating anybody. Don't hate your brother. Let people do what they want. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good with that. Um, you know, don't, don't take vengeance or bear a grudge. You know, if you, become, if you become bitter and unforgiving, that can make you vengeful. It's not enough to hate the person. You now want to see them get hurt. And no, loving your neighbor prohibits that. You do not let yourself become vengeful. You do not bear a grudge. You give out forgiveness. Those are virtues that our, our society still has a lot of regard for. We love reconciliation. We want to see people come together, man. You know, just need love. And, and that's, that's all that we need. But then there's this one other part in there. In the middle of verse 17, you shall rebuke your neighbor. Why? So that you don't bear sin with him. The idea here is that if you really love your neighbor, if you see them going down a path of destruction, you're going to love them enough to stop them. You're going to love them enough to tell them that what they're doing is harmful. You're going to love them enough to tell them that what they're doing is harm, uh, not just harmful to themselves, but dishonoring to God. In this passage that we read in Matthew, Jesus not only tells us to love, he tells us how to love. We love God by letting him rule our whole self. The next point, please, on the screen, we love neighbor by calling them to come under God's rule. That's how you love your neighbor. You, you love God by letting him rule your whole self. You love your neighbor by calling them to join you in living under God's rule. If you see a person who is living outside of God's value system, they're living outside of his definition of right and wrong, his definition of sin and righteousness, if you truly love them, you're going to tell them. If you truly love them, you'll start a conversation and you'll do your very best to sound like Jesus while you're talking about him. That's how you effectively love your neighbor. Lovingly addressing unbiblical worldviews is love. Letting people live outside of God's worldview is not love. That's actually hateful. So it's not that we're intolerant. It's actually that we're extremely loving. We love people enough to tell them if we believe that what they're doing is harmful to themselves. The second thing that we've got to look at here is not just the context of Jesus's commands, but we've got to look at the order of his commands which is first, which is second. Now, I've got to give credit to where credit is due here. We were at our adult Bible study on a Thursday night several weeks back, and one of the men that was present for a particular teaching, I was on some soapbox about something. I don't even remember what, what I was teaching on that night. And he, he raised his hand and made a comment, and he said, you know, I really think that the problem with our culture right now is everybody wants love. Everybody's good with that. Everybody's okay with being loving. 
and everybody's okay with loving God and loving neighbor. The thing is, our society wants us to love neighbor first. Because if you love God first, the way you love your neighbor might be offensive to them. But you you can't care about that because you've got to love God. But our society wants us to love neighbor first and not worry if the way we love our neighbor offends God. And the whole room was kind of like, whoa, that's Holy Ghost wisdom right there. That's profound, you know. And that, that comment actually sparked this whole teaching that I'm bringing to you today. It was a few months ago, and it's, it's just been cooking up here for some time. And, you know, I've been excited to, to bring it to you. But really, the order of Jesus' commands is critical. He does not say, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He puts them in deliberate order. It's a sequence. This one's first. This one comes after it. Why? Because by loving God first and foremostly, that informs you on how you are to love your neighbor. You know how to not offend God because you love him. You know his value system. You know what he expects of a human life. And so you cannot allow yourself to validate sin and call that love. That's a contradiction. But the society is like, no, you can love your God, but love your neighbor first. Stop offending people. And no, we cannot offend our God. We cannot. If the way I love him directs the way that I love you and that offends you, sorry, not sorry. It's his universe. We're just living in it. We follow his rule. We obey his authority. This is our our final set of points here. If we could bring those up. You truly love your neighbor by first loving your God. You truly love your neighbor by first loving your God. By commanding us to love God first, Jesus gave us the moral framework for loving our neighbor. Why? Next point, please. Loving God first tells you how to love your neighbor. By loving him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, letting him rule your actions, your words, your thinking, etc., you know how to talk to people. You know what's a right and wrong way to speak to others. Because you know what pleases God and you understand he's kind, he's compassionate, even to the ungodly, you know to not be belligerent and mean when you're evangelizing. You know how to represent him. But you also know that loving people in accordance with his statutes may be offensive to them at times. But because you love him first, that's the rule that you follow. Next point, if you reverse this, loving neighbor first will determine how you love your God. So now God's not the ruler of the universe anymore, that he is by nature. He's now being told to submit to the demands of people. He's now being told to bend his knee to our demands in the way that we want to be loved, the way that we want to be accepted. And beloved, that is not the way that it works. And we cannot let the world frighten us into making it work that way. This does take boldness. It does take courage to stand in the face of the things that are being thrown at us. But more than anything, it takes love. If we truly love people, that perfect love will cast out all fear. And we will have the guts and the backbone and the willingness to say what must be said, but to do it like Christ did. To sound like him when we're talking about him. If we love our neighbor in a way that contradicts God's value system, that's not love. That's not love. When we, when we give loving people priority over loving God, that's not love. We have to give the love, our love to God. Our love for God must hold priority in all things, over all things, at all times. Amen? I want to invite you to stand with me. I don't have an altar call today. I actually felt to do something a little different. I want us to pray. 
We're just going to take a few minutes. I'm going to lead us out. And I want us to pray that the Holy Spirit will baptize us in the love of God. That he will fill us with the compassion of Jesus. That the way that we represent Christ will totally disprove the accusations that get thrown at us a lot. When I finish praying, you can continue standing. We're going to have a time of worship. If the musicians would come, that would be wonderful. And when they finish their song, one of our pastors will come and close us out in prayer. But I can't think of a more appropriate way for us to close out than to say, Lord, do this in us. Because this is not something that only a few should feel the need to come down and answer. The the whole church needs this. Every Christian needs this. God, help us to love the way that you do. So let's pray. Father, I've spoken what you put in my heart. And God Almighty, I'm asking that you would now back up your word with your power. Lord, come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Well, Lord, we're asking for a very specific kind of filling. God, we want to be filled with the kind of love that will help us and give us the courage to open our mouths. Lord, that that will show that we are a loving people. God, that the accusations that are thrown at us that we are hateful are not true. God, I'm praying that the way you speak through us would publicly disprove that there is no way this can be a hateful religion. There is no way this can be a bigoted system of thought. There is no way the God they're talking about can be evil. There's just no way that this religion is intolerant. God, I'm praying, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom that we need to represent you in the way that you deserve. God, fill us again, I pray, with your love. Fill us, oh God. Lord Jesus, we don't want it to just be boldness and courage that drives us to speak. Lord, we want the boldness and the courage to be rooted in love and compassion for people. Lord, you died to save this world. You died to save our accusers, Lord God. Jesus, you died even for them, Lord. So Father, even when we're being faced with anger, Lord, even when we are being faced with intolerance and and real hatred, God, I pray that you would put mercy in us. Lord, protect us from our own pride that wants to go to that level and and lash out and retaliate. God, I pray that you would give us grace, Lord. Jesus, we want to be like you. You did not open your mouth and revile the people that were beating you and whipping you. Lord Jesus, you are worthy, oh God. You are worthy of being followed and you are worthy, worthy, Lord Jesus, of even, even being mirrored in our conduct and in our witness. Holy Spirit, you have been sent to give us the power to bear witness to this gospel in every way that that means. So Lord, we invite you now to come, God, even as we begin to worship, as we begin to lift our voices in song, would you fill us afresh? Lord, if anyone in here has been bound by a spirit of fear, Lord, they've been afraid to stand for Christ because they know that the cost might be great. We know this, this city can be so hostile to the word of God. Lord, give us boldness, Lord. Give every brother and sister in this room the courage and the compassion to speak for Jesus and not be silenced, oh God, by anything. Father, if anyone has been confused, Lord, if they've been wondering, how can we say that we're loving? God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see the truth of your word. Lord, you are loving. You proved your love at the cross. You died for rebels, Lord. You died so that you could adopt your enemies as your sons and your daughters. There is no question about the kind of God that you are. Lord, give us the strength to bend our knee to what you have said is right and is wrong, to what you have said is good and is evil. And Lord, if the world follows us, then praise be to God that we would see a harvest of souls. Lord, if we are met with hostility, Lord, if we are met with persecution, Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy. And we ask that you give us the courage and the grace to keep on preaching. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I just want to take a minute and just pray. Uh, 
I'm just very grateful for this word that we've received. And this is one that I want to encourage everyone, you know, when you leave out this afternoon or if you're staying for the remainder of the evening. But this is one that we have to go back and revisit. Um, it is important for us now more than ever that we truly reflect the love of Jesus Christ. We were really challenged this afternoon to speak like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to love God firstly so that we love people correctly. That was made very clear this afternoon. Very clear. Very clear. And I know we're, we're in some very tough days where it's like, it's really challenging to, to be a witness of Christ Jesus. It just feels like, man, like the world's just coming at us. And this word was right on time. Pastor Nick, thank you so much. But, you know, this afternoon, the teaching was, a, it was a victory word. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And even in that, we know and we're reminded that it's not us against them it's us for them that they would know the love of Jesus Christ so let's just take just a minute just would you lift up your voice with me as we just pray and ask God to search our hearts and ask God God give me just a greater love for you that I might love you and, and love people the way you've called me to do so so Lord God we thank you we lift up our voice we, we come before you humbly we come before your throne of grace and we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you truly would just take hold of our hearts. And God, I'm asking you right now that you would just reveal once again the, the beauty of your love for us, your love, your, your, your amazing grace and your love, your unconditional love for us. And God, how you gave us your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for our sins. And because of you, Jesus, we're, we're washed, cleansed, and made whole. And because of you, Jesus, we have the victory. Because of you, Jesus, we are made a new person. Because of you, Jesus, we know now, Lord, that we were made in your image, and we reflect you, and we reflect your love. And so, God, may we bear witness of your great love. Oh, God, search our hearts, Lord God, that we would be truly a witness of who you are as a loving God. Lord, that we would be a people, Lord God, that would not back down, but would speak up, would not draw back, but would go forward, would, would continue to stand and be a light in the darkest of places, and that we would know that we have the victory in you, Christ Jesus. That we would know, Lord God, that you have called us to bear witness of your great name, Jesus Christ. That you have called us now in this hour, Lord, to make a stand, Lord God. A stand for truth. A stand for righteousness. A stand for holiness, Lord God. Oh God, give us courage now, Lord God. Courage not to back down. God, give us courage, Lord God, to tell our neighbors, Lord God, with love and grace that they are loved. Lord God, may we be a people that are willing to step out in faith, Lord God, and believe for those that are around us, for our loved ones, for strangers, our neighbors. Lord God, that we would bear witness of who you are. Oh God, that we would truly love our neighbors the way, God, you've called us to love them. God, forgive us, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord God, for drawing back. Forgive us, Lord God, for making this about ourselves. 
Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for not speaking up when we're supposed to speak. Forgive us, Lord God, Lord God, for our selfish hearts. Forgive us, Lord God, for our pride. But, oh God, would we now, Lord God, make a clear decision, Lord God, to walk in humility and to bear witness of who you are. To a dying world, Lord God, to a lost and broken world, Lord God, I pray now, Lord Jesus, that that courage would rise up in our hearts, that faith would rise up in our hearts, Lord God. Give us a burden, Lord God. Give us a burden. Give us compassion for the lost, Lord Jesus, Lord God. Lord God, may we not be able to shake, Lord God, the the stirring and the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to stir us to speak up when we need to speak up, Lord God. So we submit to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit this afternoon. Even as we, as we go out these doors this afternoon, Lord, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, Lord God. We want to speak up when you tell us to speak, Lord God. We want to go where you tell us to go, Lord God. I pray that we truly would be a light here, Lord God, that my brothers and sisters this afternoon would make a decision to say, yes, God, we will speak. Yes, God, we will be the voice in this generation. The voice of salvation, the voice of truth, the voice of healing, the voice of deliverance. And you are the only true God. And we will bear witness of who you are, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for this word this afternoon. Oh God, we say yes to you. Yes to your will. Yes to your will, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.